Hello, I'm just dropping in real quick. So when we were recording this, uh, neither me nor Nick caught that my actual mic was not picking up the recording. So the audio quality on my microphone in particular is a little bad. I apologize. That's a little bit why this episode's late. So if you're listening to this, uh, please uh, forgive me. <laughs> next week it'll be better. And if it's not better next week, then it wasn't our fault and it's our gear. And then uh, I don't have to apologize for anything. So just enjoy the show. Bye. Hello and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. We're, we're doing the part two of a episode we did a couple weeks ago. It is subcritical masses. So these are all the sort of effects that are, are sort of just a little bit shy of where they need to be uh, to really explode in Commander. They're the kinds of things that... Um, sort of create packages that you can kind of slot into any deck and, and just do something powerful. Um, but they're, they're also the kind of things that we, we tend to keep an eye out for when we do set reviews because, again, they are subcritical. They are just below where they need to be in terms of numbers in order to make it so that you can like consistently find them during your games of Commander. So I'll give a quick example. One of the things we talked about last week was uh, indestructible lands. So we, we got a big batch of them with the Modern Horizons 2 bridges, but they're the kind of thing that, you know, if you really want to go in all in on this, you need to have a ton of them, like dozens, in order to fill out your mana base and make your mana base uh, totally indestructible so that you can break the symmetry on mass land destruction. So that's the kind of thing we're, we're talking about. Um, most of what we're going to be talking about this last episode was a bit more about like combos and engines. We've got one or two of those in here, but this episode is mainly about just like interesting synergies that we're on the lookout for. So with that, I want to give a, take a brief second to talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, with that, let's jump into today's topic, and I think we can start with this first segment, this first group. These are cards that grant persist-like abilities. Um, so I'm, I'm talking like Micaeus the Unhallowed, who grants your creatures undying. There's also Marchesa the Black Rose, who will return creatures with a plus one plus one counter uh, from your graveyard to the battlefield whenever they die. And then Luminous Broodmoth, who will, whenever one of your non-flying uh, creatures dies, will return it to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. So any two of these and a sack outlet provides infinite sack fodder. So if you sacrifice, say, if you have, say, like Marchesa, the Black Rose, and Micaeus, the Unhallowed, on the battlefield at the same time in a sack outlet, then you can sacrifice just any creature, Micaeus, assuming it's not a human, Micaeus will bring it back to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. And then if you sacrifice it again, Marchesa will return it back to the battlefield without a plus one plus one counter on it. Similarly, you can swap in, you know, Luminous Broodmoth for, um, say, Marchesa in that instance. 
But the more cards they print like this, the more opportunities we have for for infinite sack loops, um, where they each kind of like provide one half, or, or like each of these engines sort of gets the creature to the state that will then trigger the next engine. So I, th- I think those are really interesting cards to keep an eye out for. Yeah, they're pretty infrequent too, but it's kind of like inevitable if you think about it. Like there's so many ways to do this and magic is like, at least the designers plan on it being around a long time. So just every, even if we only get one every like five years or something like that, Mm -hmm. eventually (laughs) there will just be a deck that can do this pretty consistently. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that um, because like Micaeus, the unhallowed and luminous brood moth both work with counters, um, you can also sub in, say, like a solemnity or something that remove count removes counters um, mm-hmm. easily, like cheaply. That's another way in order to to make this happen a little bit more easily. Yeah, there are going to be like little fixes for certain ones of these, so um, just ways to stretch the the synergy a little further, depending mm-hmm. on which cards you draw. All right. Uh, with that, I think we can move on to the next category. So. What is uh, what's this next group of effects that we're on the lookout for that are maybe just shy of where they need to be in order to to really do explosive things consistently in Commander? Mm-hmm. So this is actually something I've been really into over the years. This is symmetrical land animation. Um, so symmetrical land animation is like everyone's lands become a size of creature. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that could be a living plane, nature's revolt, natural affinity. It could be life and limb uh, nowadays with the Yavamaya uh, cradle, cradle of, of growth. growth. Yeah. Yeah. So that life and limb makes all your saplings forest and all your forest saplings. So there you go. Living lands is another one kind of like living plane, but only forest. So if you have your Yavamaya, then it works out. And then the, the classic EDH uh, mm-hmm. combo everyone talks about is the, Urborg, uh, Tomb of Yogmoth with Corma Spell, which makes all swamps one ones. So I've really enjoyed this. I love animating my lands. I- I'm one of the people R and D has been really impressing with the like, oh, that land's indestructible this turn, nice. <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, I'm so used to the scraps that they threw me before. But there's a lot of stuff you can do with this. Do you want to get into some of it? Yeah. So the for for me the the most obvious synergy is like if you have some sort of asymmetrical um like board wipe then it turns into a one-sided armageddon so so for example if you have like an elish norn or an archfiend of shadows a, a massacre worm or like marsh casualties golden demise any of those effects will just wipe your opponent's lands while leaving yours untouched uh, you can also try to like break symmetry on something like dead of winter if you animate say your snow lands then Dead of Winter only gives non-snow creatures minus X minus X. So like you will probably lose like your your non-basic lands that get animated, but you get to keep your basics or whatever snow lands you might have on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So and of course, like, you know, once you're in a position where you're the only person with lands, you probably win the game. Yeah, especially with a small army camp yeah. <laughs> in, in the back waiting. Mm-hmm. So th- there's like other ways to do this too that aren't quite as brutal. If let's say you your friends don't care that you're like, oh no, I'm just blowing up the creatures. <laughs> the excuse won't work. You could run like smoke or things like that. Things that punish creatures untapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of them in white. 
And then you could always go the opposite way. This is things that I'll do uh, with my lands is just like, I have lands, but my lands are five fives and your lands are one ones. <laughs> yeah, and that works that could, pretty well. <laughs> that could be a bunch of different things. Uh, maybe you planned around it. Uh, I have a Jor-El uh, Empress of Beasts deck, which animates someone's lands into three threes. So having ways to manipulate both my lands are bigger and your lands are smaller is uh, kind of a key part of that deck a key function of that deck so there's just a ton of stuff also just now they're creatures so they can untap so you can combo it's yeah like aggravated assault is like perfect for this type of combo exactly yeah there's a lot you can do with this so every time we print another like lands are creatures spell and i i like the symmetrical one because you can abuse it more but i'll take whatever they're going to give me (laughs) (laughs) i'm super happy so this is a category that i'm always on the lookout for yeah, this is uh, definitely a really exciting one. Right now, it's you can like sort of make it work if you're in like black green and like can really consistently find your your Yavimaya or Urborg. Yeah, but you know it's it's still tricky. There's only like six of these effects right now, mm-hmm. so I think the as we see more of them printed over the years, this archetype or like this package is going to get more and more powerful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the you kind of hit the nail on the head. The fact that you have to work to really make this strategy like a thing right now is is kind of the key component of it. But uh, yeah, maybe someday, someday we'll get there. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to the next category. Um, this is symmetrical counters, and, and by that I don't mean like plus one plus one counters. Uh, again, you know. spells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do no one gets to play the game? <laughs> exactly, unless you build your deck right. So I'm talking about things like Nether Void, uh, which is three and a black for an encha- uh, a world enchantment. Whenever a player casts a spell, counter that spell unless its controller pays three or Planar Chaos, uh, which is two and a red for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, sacrifice it. And whenever a player casts a spell, uh they flip a coin, and if they lose the flip, counter that spell. So both of these, uh, I haven't played with Nether Void a whole lot. It is on the reserve list in front Legends, mm-hmm. so you can imagine how much it's worth. Yep. Um, but you know, I've played with Planar Chaos a fair bit, just you know, friends with Chaos decks and that kind of thing. And it really, really like slows down the game. You just feel like you can't play anything. It completely jams up most people's game plans, but there is a way to break symmetry on these effects. So, so how can you get out from under the, the nether void or the, the planar chaos? Yeah, I feel like in this case, planar chaos is pretty good because there's a decent amount of things that go with it. But let's say you do have a nether void out. Well, if you're playing tribal, you got things like cavern of souls. Um, if you're in green with either of these effects, you have actually a ton of options. You have uh, Gaia's Herald, Allosaurus Shepherd, uh, you have um, uh, Prowling Serpapard. Yep, Prowling Serpapard. And then there's actually Surak Dragon Claw, which kind of has this baked in. So if you have, a, let's say, a Planar Chaos in a Surak Dragon Claw list, you kind of force everyone to gauge if they want to throw things into the Planar Chaos, where you can just cast your creatures that don't get countered. And Surak is a six mana, six, six uh, with Flash for three green red blue and he has creature spells you control can't be countered does he give other things trample or is that yes he does give your other things trample yeah because i remember it's funny because he doesn't have trample but he gives your other creatures trample (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, Siroc is a is a great way to abuse this. That's where I've seen this most. I have a uh, we we have a friend of the show, Alex White Clay, um, mm-hmm. who I'm pretty sure it's actually Emily's deck, but um, I've definitely seen this in action. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. So this is so it's it's really fun. Well, okay, it's it's actually completely unfun synergy, but <laughs> but it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those categories that you know I'm not sure we're gonna see many or even any more effects like this because it is so um it is so potent upon yeah Yeah. uh other than like nether void and planar chaos there's like you know ice cave ish but it's just not an effect that comes up very often and certainly like not in the modern era of magic yeah um but definitely a, a powerful synergy and if they ever do print something like this again you you know how to make use of it Mm-hmm. And the one thing I do want to say for it, especially in regards to like Siroc Dragonclaw, is like if your opponents are like having to determine if they're going to cast spells into Planar Chaos, uh, and you're just casting your like Greater Gargadons and whatnot, like the game's going to end pretty quickly mm-hmm. in comparison. So uh, there are uh, that deck in particular, it's not actually as bad as normal stacks. Because you are kind of snowballing ahead of everybody else for the most mm-hmm. part, um, so it's not like the game's going to last forever. But definitely, I've seen some other, other, uh, other void games go just way too long. <laughs> so yeah, just be careful. All right, uh, moving on to the next category. This is cards which generate mana from creatures. This means a lot of things. Uh, it could grant your creatures the ability to tap for mana, as with like Cryptolith Rite or Sentinel Hierophants or like kind of Earthcraft. There's also things that trigger off of your creatures attacking or dealing combat damage, like say Druid's Repository, Old Gnawbone, Grim Hireling, Sakiko Mother of Sun- Summer. There's a decent number of these effects. They don't all quite work the same way, but they all kind of have the same uh, effect, which is. If you are playing, say, like a token deck or just a deck with a lot of cheap creatures, they really allow you to snowball. You know, if you drop like something that that makes five tokens when you have an Earthcraft on the battlefield, your spell is essentially free. And and even if you don't have an Earthcraft and like your creatures have summoning sickness, you have something like a Cryptolith, right? Like it just makes it so that every turn you're generating significantly more mana than the previous turn provided you're playing a deck that can flood a lot of creatures onto the battlefield. Um, so I think these are really powerful types of effects. What are your uh, you know, favorite uses of these types of cards? It kind of a lot of what you're saying, like the generation you can get from these are incredible. Um, I wish Earthcraft wasn't <laughs> <laughs> as much as it was because I, I, uh, years back traded some and have regretted that decision ever since. <laughs> um, just cause they're so good and you, they end up being really good in a whole bunch of different types of lists too, which is uh, surprising, but maybe it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these are just great. If you're generating a ton of tokens, if you're um, just have a bunch of creatures on board, uh, if you are kind of planning for the long game, especially like Druid's repository or like old Nawbone, just slapping down an old Nawbone, getting like maybe four treasures the first turn, and then old Nawbone hits you get seven more just for one big turn. Like it, it's really explosive and can really lead to some 
huge moments and huge plays. So uh, these are always things I'm looking for. They're, they're primarily they're primarily in green, which is no surprise because it's like mana generation with with your creatures. But the I think over time I'm wondering like what is going to happen with this. I don't. I assume Old Nabone isn't going to be the only legend that generates treasures that we're going to see in the future. You know, like I'm wondering what is going to happen here if they're going to extend this into other colors or if it's always going to be green that snowballs this hard. Yeah. I mean, Grim Hireling, I mean, it's no old Nawbone, but in terms of like mana generated for the cost, it's, it's pretty darn good. Like that's in black. It's only four mana. But in a, a four-man game, you can generate up to six treasure per combat step. And speaking of combat steps, like all of these types of abilities tend to work really well with extra combat step effects. Um, you know, you get to, in, in some cases, you can like say tap your creatures to generate to generate this mana to cast the extra combat step, and then untap all your creatures. Um, or you know, you can attack with your guys, your old knobbone triggers, or your grim hireling triggers. And then in your second main phase, you play your extra combat step effect, and then you get to do it all over again. Um, so all of them have just an, a lot of natural synergy with that. And like aggravated assault is, of course, like the a great combo card for these types of effects. So like I think that's a really this is a really powerful package for like green red builds maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course like in if you're you know in a green white deck, like you are able to make a lot of creatures, which can then you know, attack or, or whatever and trigger these abilities as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. This is one that like we probably are going to see one every year or two. So I assume that this grouping is going to hit that critical mass fairly quicker than a lot of these other effects that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, with that, I think uh, I'm just about ready to move on to the next one. What's our next category? Yeah. So the next category is blue artifact mana dorks. So every color, except for white, really, um, <laughs> has gotten like mana dorks for a thing. So with red, that's like elementals or instants and sorceries or things. And in blue, or just like temporary mana generation. Yeah, or temporary yeah. mana generation, um, like sack the sky, get you red. Um, blue has gotten uh, like usually colorless for instants and sorceries, but also for some really cool reason, a, a decent amount of tap add mana for artifacts and we're getting to a point where that's almost like mm-hmm. almost viable there's almost enough of them that this is really awesome and cool and easy to do but we're not not quite there but do you want to get into the ones that exist that are pretty good right now sure uh so two of them are are very similar um renowned weaponsmith and Fidalcan engineer are both one in a blue and uh, Renowned Weaponsmith taps for CC that can only be spent on artifact spells or to activate abilities of artifacts. And it can also search for Heart Piercer Bow of Vile Dragonfire, but you're probably not using it for that half. And then Vidalcan Engineer is also one in a blue for a 1-1 that taps to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. And you can spend that mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. Uh, and then... The, the third one we're going to be talking about is Grand Architect. So Grand Architect is one blue-blue for a 1-3 Vidalcan Artificer. Other blue creatures you control get plus or plus one. He can pay blue to make an artifact creature blue until end of turn. And then he has the ability tap an untapped blue creature you control, add CC, spend this mana only to cast artifact spells 
or activate abilities of artifacts. Uh, I, I want to like highlight these rather than um, some of the other like blue artif. I mean, arguably, like you could fit in um, Chief Engineer in this list as well, which is uh, one in a blue and gives all of your artifact spells convoke. So sort of turns all of your creatures into mana dorks for artifact spells. There's just a fair number of these cards, and the acceleration that they offer is is really powerful and it's hard to compare to like even in um even among like green mana dorks there aren't a whole lot of things that cost two mana and tap for two so being able to easily accelerate from two to five provided you've got like a heavy artifact list is really a considerable bonus that you can get off something like vidalcan engineer or renowned weaponsmith it appears that they think this is like a reasonable power level just to print into a standard legal set. We saw renowned weaponsmith in M20. So I think that um, this could be something that we see more of in the future, and it just adds a lot of power to artifacts decks, really makes it so that they're even more explosive. Like, yeah, signets are great, um, but going from two to four is, you know, not, not quite as good as going from two to five. Yeah, and I think also like Dalicos shows that they're willing to do this too, which mm-hmm. which isn't specifically blue, doesn't necessarily go into this category, but does kind of use these guys to good effect as well, where he taps for two generic for artifacts, like period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it has some other text, but that doesn't matter for this conversation. But So I'm, I think that they're aware that this is a fun thing that, blue can do in particular so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic that we'll see Mm -hmm. more of this in the future especially in sets where like equipment is a big theme and so blue kind of needs some ways to interact with that or something Mm -hmm. definitely all right uh moving on to the next category this is one we've talked about before um but it's it really like pings me you know it it uh triggers my spidey sense every time i see one of these spoiled in a new set Mm-hmm. So these are creature replacers, and by that I mean uh, creatures that trigger when something dies and or enters the battlefield, and then create something else. So, for example, like Zathrid Necromancer is two and a black for a two-two human, and whenever a human you control dies, create a two-two black zombie creature token. Uh, Rotlung Reanimator is pretty similar to in a black for a two-two zombie cleric. Whenever uh, it or another cleric you control dies, create a 2-2 zombie. Uh, there's also Bishop of Wings and Turn Timber Ranger, all of which kind of function similarly. Um, and the, main, the interesting thing about all of these is that they work really, really well with the creature type overriders that we've seen over the years. So things like Conspiracy, Artificial Evolution, Xenograft, Arcane Adaptation, anything that can sort of edit the either the creature type or of the creature being created or the text of the the trigger any of those types of effects are able to make it so that you know instead of a cleric dying and a zombie being created oh well a cleric dies and a cleric is being created and you just have like infinite sack fodder so that seems like a, a really powerful synergy and it's something that they, you know, will occasionally drop on us. We also saw, uh, like, like Bishop of Wings was, I think, M nineteen. So mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't long ago. Yeah, it, this is definitely like a current design thing. 
So something to keep an eye out, or actually M20, but something to keep an eye on. And uh, it seems like a really neat, powerful synergy to build a deck around. This style of like creature type entering or dying, creature type token created is something they like. They think it's like pretty cute. So there's no doubt in my mind that if we get another tribal set, this is a design we'll see again. And again, if we see another tribal set, I assume we'll get another Xenograft or Artificial Evolution or Arcane Adaptation, Mm -hmm. you know, like something like that again. So this is something where I think it's just a matter of time, like some of the other categories. They just like the A-B mechanics of this. And uh, also, we we forgot to mention Maskwood Nexus fits in for some of these. Oh, yes. Perfect. Yes, thank you. Yeah, not all of them, but some... Well, no, it does work for all of them. But Maskwood Nexus um, is, is pretty good at comboing i've heard so Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there you go all right uh moving on to the next category these are entomb effects um so we've uh, of course there is the classic entomb also like unmarked grave buried alive intuition violent tumor uh corpse connoisseur gravebreaker lamia it's it's great when they hit creatures because there's like naturally a lot of synergies there if you have some sort of reanimator build um or a creature that's active in the graveyard that's great, but what really excites me are the entomb effects that can get non-creature cards. Um, so, you know, intuition, entomb, unmarked grave, violent tumor. And what I really like about those is there are a lot of engines that are active from the graveyard. Uh, like Life from the Loam, you can get that back. You can really get something going. Uh, like I've, in in my Lord Windgrace lands deck, I would often entomb for Life from the Loam because it's such a, a crucial card in that deck um there's also also things like reality scramble uh waves of aggression worm harvest these really strong retrace cards that could just give you a ton of value like worm harvest can make dozens of worms i've seen that happen plenty of times um waves of aggression like gives you a lot of extra combat steps gives your aggro deck the a lot of reach that might not had otherwise and then reality scramble is just a powerful engine for like um, you know, it's great in token decks. You can turn your tokens into real creatures. It's great in decks with lots of ETB triggers. Um, it'll it'll just let you kind of cycle through those. So a lot of powerful things that you can get online and find more consistently if you have these types of um, straight-to-graveyard tutors. So again, this is something that they seem to be willing to do, but sparingly, because these cards tend to be like uh, I know when Goblin Engineer was spoiled, people started brewing some like pretty heinous modern lists that they were the kind of ones where like if you have the perfect hand, it's unbeatable, but your opening hand has to be perfect or it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're willing to play these things and they understand how powerful they are. So I, I don't think we're going to get, um, well, if you look at like Unmarked Grave, for instance, that was recently printed. They made it specifically so you can't get Grizzle Brand, right? <laughs> they yeah. made it specifically so you can't like flash in a reanimate on your Emrakul that you put in the grave and respond to a trigger, something like that. So they're aware of how these cards work a lot better than they used to be, and they're really willing to print them at an appropriate rate. And you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely. I, I really like the the packages that this kind of enables. Um, and then there's also just like some commanders that have a lot of natural synergy with this. There is, of course, like reanimator commanders. 
Um, and actually, just like recently, they printed Sephiris, who not only like likes running the Entomb effects because they, you know, it sets up your reanimation that you're going to get when you um, complete a dungeon, but also like when you cast an Entomb or an unmarked grave in that deck and put a creature in your graveyard, that's also going to trigger Sephiris and get you that much closer to completing the dungeon, getting that creature back onto the battlefield. Like there's just in my testing, there's been multiple times where the 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 fourth venture that the one that would like allow me to complete the lost mine or what or whatever was the entomb that then put the the jenga taxius in my graveyard and then immediately got it back onto the the battlefield mm-hmm. so um the, a lot of a lot of potential for these kinds of effects in commander yeah they're super cool and they're super fun so mm-hmm. i guess the next category is uh kind of in a similar vein uh so the these Actually, I guess the next two, but you'll you'll have to connect the dots. <laughs> uh, so this is creatures with cycling that are worth reanimating, and so far this category is very small. <laughs> yeah, sadly, but there is the Angel of the Ruins and Scion of Darkness, and Scion of Darkness is like definitely from when I was playing, it was like one of the because people my age and my time didn't all have internet <laughs> at the time so we just would see the uncommon or whatever that could summon the sign of darkness and then be like what does it do mm-hmm. what card is that and it turned out to be pretty cool so that's great there also i think there might actually be one more there's also like ruin grinder um who oh, yeah, has yeah. utility in like some but not all decks the the classic i'll start by saying this the classic reanimator style gameplay um typically has three parts it's 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 sort of like a three card combo like you need the the big fatty you need a way to get it into your graveyard and you need like the reanimate effect the cheap spell that pulls it out of the graveyard and directly onto the battlefield and with something like an angel of the ruins that puts itself into your graveyard and is like you know a useful body to to get back um it cuts out one of the pieces you need you don't need to worry about like oh, I need to find a way to discard this or I need a way to tutor it into my graveyard. Um, it sets itself up for success. So, you know, a three-card combo kind of becomes a two-card combo. And uh, I, I think that Angel of the Ruins, I've already used it pretty successfully in like a Sephiroth list um, because it, it kind of does everything you need in that. But I can imagine this also being good in just like any other reanimation deck that has whitened its color identity because it, it just makes it that much easier for you and the the ability it grants is pretty useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that brings us to the next category. Mm-hmm. So this next category is good cards with madness, which uh, it kind of <laughs> might offend some people upon hearing it, but um, there's just not a lot of madness cards that you want to actually cast yeah it's it's kind of surprising like between having a commander deck focus on madness and like having a madness theme in the most recent modern horizons uh there just really aren't that many good ones i think you can honestly i think you could count on one hand uh even if you're missing a couple fingers Um, (laughs) yeah so, so you know, on on my list, the the really notable one is Big Game Hunter, and then maybe you can make like a, a Stromkirk Occultist work for you, or maybe you could work make a um, a Revolutionist work for you. Mm-hmm. But I think in the vast majority of cases, like 
madness cards are just the bait rate on these are just not something you would at all be interested in in commander yeah i i know i've definitely back when um for some reason i was on a kick i had the flip liliana uh liliana the healer and that deck just no one had hands um so i did end up running more madness cards in that than i thought i would just because they did end up being better because it was just it was never the front half it was always the madness cost mm-hmm. and the one that always stood out to me in that deck was from under the floorboards Mm-hmm. which um madness is for x black black and you make x uh zombie tokens and gain x life for just that much it is that was always pretty decent i'm assuming like you said revolutionist will be decent if you can consistently do the thing yeah i mean the problem with like so many madness cards is that like i said the base rate is just not yeah what you want to be paying for this type of effect like at six mana, Revolutionist is is a a pretty bad deal. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the worst. Uh, it's one of the worst. Like you know, ETB recur a spell creatures. Like at the madness rate, it's it's just like oh, that's pretty good. That's like an okay answer. Um, but really, like for cards to be good in Commander, you want like you know a Commander that sort of gives you a little bit of a subsidy. You want like a decent ish rate so that if you don't have your Commander, you can still do something with it. Uh, and then, like, a great bonus if you have your commander on the battlefield. That's, mm-hmm. like, a pretty good recipe for a mechanic or a type of card that works well in commander. Um, and just, like, Madness doesn't really have the that going on. Like, I, I mean, Angie Falconrath, what, what tends to happen in that deck is, like, the Angie Falconrath gives you such a subsidy that it does not matter at all what the Madness card does because you yeah. never have to cast it, uh, which is not, I think, like... The point. Re- <laughs> yeah, not like what the commander players really want to do. I think that Chainer 2.0 is like definitely a more fun Madness commander, but even then, like, there, how many Madness cards have you seen in most Chainer decks? Yeah, it's usually not the best thing to do. And, and yeah. again, kind of like to continue on with your point it it comes from both halves too it's sometimes it's like the card does something you want but the front half is really bad mm-hmm. sometimes the second half is really good like it's like madness two or one but the card is just absolutely garbage like mm-hmm. i'm never I, except for very niche cases like angie falconrath or or some other future scenario where madnessing for zero is good i'm never really going to run blazing root walla you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter that it's a free one one uh in most decks, you know, I'm mm-hmm. it's just not good enough for most regular games of commander. And the same can be said for so many of these cards. Like Gisa's bidding is like three mana for two zombies is pretty good, but do I really want just two zombies? <laughs> like <laughs> or do I want like some more stuff going on? Like there there's just always that question of like, well, what could I just play something else and it's better? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But let's talk a bit about why we want to make madness work in Commander. I don't. It's, yeah. it's not that we just like love the madness mechanic, the flavor <laughs> of it, or like just how it. Uh, what I really like about madness is the fact that it works well with cards that are really easy to run in Commander. Things that fit into a lot of decks that don't aren't a huge burden to put in your your list. Um, so for me, like rummaging and looting effects i run them in so many like red decks or red white decks um 
So like really low opportunity costs to run these types of things. And it's just like, oh, free value. Like instead of discarding a card and like losing it forever, I'm actually like, I get to cast it at a cheaper rate and I'm actually kind of up on cards total. So that to me is like really super appealing. And I just wish that there was more than one good madness card that I could get that synergy with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other like effects that you think that, work really well with madness that are easy to run in commander i mean you hit a lot of them there's just I, decks that want to discard cards in general and that could be anything that could be like a malfagor that could be a liliana heretical healer that could be i don't know who else discards cards <laughs> um uh neheb yeah neheb dreadhorde general or something like that dreadhorde uh, captain yeah, Neheb 3.0, the worst yeah. Markman, yeah. So, like, you, there's just decks where you discard cards. And, you know, it would be really cool is if I could discard a card and it does something I want, like blow up an artifact or an enchantment, or I get a card back to my hand, like with Revolutionist, or like kill a creature, like something. But there's very few. <laughs> <laughs> there's just, it's amazing how few of them there are. So, mm-hmm. it really be like that. Yeah. Uh, One other thing I don't want to mention is like a a synergy for madness cards is just like uh, survival of the fittest and fauna shaman. Like both of those are very powerful tutor engines. It's not a burden to run them in most lists. And like, especially for survival, the fact that you can uh, kind of as like an interstitial in between discarding like whatever crappy card in your hand and getting the thing you actually want, you can also just like, search out say a big game hunter and then discard it and then go get the actual thing you want and like just get and just get the value of a free big game hunter out of your library in as like a middle part in whatever you actually want to do so it's like the more good manis cards we get like that the better like free value you can get just as part of these tutoring chains Similarly, I guess you can also like throw in tortured existence if that's a card that you're running. The ability to just just like throw in a madness card as part of like looping your um as part of looping your tortured existence just to get free value seems awesome. Someday. I know where it was like an eight or something on the storm scale, but they brought it back when it was an eight on the storm scale. I, I have no doubt that at some point we'll see more madness cards again. Yeah, if we're getting it like in three different sets in the last you know five years or so i Mm -hmm. i would also hope that means good thing for the future of madness and hopefully they'll they'll push it a little bit harder in the future i i I would definitely like to see fewer root wallas and more big game hunters yeah that would be really cool which moves us on to the next category so this is um (laughs) i'm going to say the category and you listener at home you're going to know exactly why we're talking about it so this is low mana value changelings um do you want to get into (laughs) well no i'll I'll read off them and then you can get into why (laughs) sure sure but you might be able to guess so uh this is stuff like universal automaton the lowest mana value you can get it's generic for a one one artifact creature that is a changeling uh changeling outcast moth dust changeling uh anything that costs like one two mana and is all creature types Mm -hmm. so why uh why mention this uh well we talk about this a lot on the show so i'm not going to spend too much time on it here but these uh just work so so well with um commanders that have enormous tribal rewards like 
four tribes that tend to be like iconics or like really expensive or not super powerful in in general. Um, Wizards tends to print commanders that are like that give you a huge subsidy for running those things. And that kind of makes sense if you're casting like, you know, a five or six mana sphinx like uh, like that's, you know, that doesn't happen till really late in the game in commander. It's it's might not even be powerful enough for the the turn you're casting it on. But, you know, oh, if it costs two less mana and also gives you like 80 percent of a factor fiction, that's that's something or like, well, you know, these these like two mana idiot skulkins, you know, are not as a like a base case playable in commander but what if they vindicate when they come in so there's a lot of commanders like that that uh care so much about the creature type that kind of anything will do like that it it just becomes a game of of triggering that powerful ability as many times as you can changelings happen to be really cheap and they happen to be of every type so they they slot really well into all of those those powerful decks like changelings are going to be some of the best options in unesh or reaper king or whatever that's uh so the the it's kind of a great thing that they can just print these at a power level that is like fine and standard as we saw in kaldheim just like oh it's you know a two cost one one that puts a puzzle puzzle counter on something or oh it's a a three cost one four flyer that you can like move its power and toughness around and it's it's awesome that those cards just immediately are able to find homes in commander so i'm going to be very excited the next time we see changeling in a in a new set mm-hmm. yeah which i also think is uh inevitable i think it's just super popular yeah um speaking of creatures <laughs> i don't know i was trying to segue that the next one is uh these are cards that most people play with i don't think they think about them in this like regard necessarily but this is canned armies so when i say canned armies i mean a card that just brings a bunch of people to the party for you so this could be an avenger of zendikar this could be a deep forest hermit or a deranged hermit if you're lucky enough to have one this is a secure the waste like x white instant make a bunch of warriors increasing devotion etc uh, etc et just things that you cast them you get a bunch of bodies and uh why are we grouping them together like this uh well they because they all make a ton of bodies they they're very close to just creating a threatening board immediately there's a a decent number of cards that can just turn a lot of like even zero ones into a lethal fighting force like if you have a cathar's crusade then making five guys at once means you get oh they they all get five plus one plus one counters uh or like a Beastmaster ascension you know if if you can immediately make enough creatures to turn on your Beastmaster ascension the first time they attack like oh that suddenly these you know these plant tokens are are really a big threat they're they're probably the biggest threat on the table and what i really like about these types of effects or, or rather these these canned armies is that they are a single card that create like that you know when combined with something else create a a board state that is actually like lethal in commander which is not easy to do um and they like kind of require your opponent to answer them immediately so 
I mean, so like the fact that you can spend a one card and force and, and just force the hand check, like, do you have the board wipe? If yes, okay, I did a one for one trade. That's not the worst thing. But if no, I just kill a player. Those are the kind of exchanges I want to be doing in Commander. Rather than like, I play five guys, my opponent plays a Wrath of God, I'm out five cards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the biggest problem with a lot of aggro as an archetype in Commander. Like, unless you are so aggressive that you can just absolutely decimate a table before anyone has a chance to do anything, which in that case, you might as well just combo. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you're going to be that low to the ground and efficient and knock players out of the game, like, there's not too much of a difference between what you're doing and comboing. This is kind of the next best way to do that. And honestly, like some of these things are the only ways that White has had in the last 20-something years to kind of win out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a Cathar's Crusade and no board, it's pretty hard to win. And then all of a sudden you go uh, secure the waste and you have six, seven, sevens and you untap with them like that's actually scary that's like one of the few ways you can actually like take something out and the same is true with like uh white sun zenith and things like that but those the the rate on those is a lot worse Mm -hmm. so um it's a little bit harder to get the like critical kill mass that you need yeah and and maybe we should like drill down even further like secure the waste is really is kind of I'm not going to say it's the best version of the spec because like obviously Avenger is insane. Yeah. Um, but really it's the one that kind of aligns best with what is good in commander. Um, the fact that it's a really good rate, like, you know, assuming you're doing it for, for large values, it's, it's just, a, mm, there's not much that compares with it. Mm-hmm. And also like the surprise factor, like you mentioned the ability to not only have like a big army, but to have a big army when your opponents aren't expecting it and when they don't have the opportunity to cast a sorcery speed board wipe. Like that is how I think white can, like you said, I think that's kind of a way for white to be effective in commander is, is if like you are as afraid of the white player with a bunch of open mana up at the end of your turn, as you are of like the green player with like, Oh, he's got, you know, two elves and a birds and like, some utility creature like that but they could draw a tutor or a crater hoof at any time and kill me i I want white to inspire that same kind of fear and it just doesn't now every time they printed an effect that was even as close to good as secure the waste it's been green as well like march of the multitudes (laughs) yeah like like march of the multitudes is a pretty good card but uh, it's it's x green white white uh instant create x one one white soldier creature tokens with lifelink and it has convoke so like if you have any floaters, they can help cast the spell. It ends up being about the same as Secure the Waste if you have like some floaters, but they have lifelink, so it's like pretty good. But also you're in green, <laughs> yeah. so you, you already had access to some pretty good effects and flash creatures and whatnot. So, like you said, I, I also want White to get something like this. Like I, I liked Starnheim Unleashed in theory, and it just isn't as good in practice because of that sorcery speed restriction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We, we do have a couple more categories we want to cover in this episode. Um, so we're going to have to move on here. Mm-hmm. The, the next is enchantments that sacrifice for value. So this, this encompasses like, you know, classic things like aura of silence, uh, pernicious deed, Sterling Grove, but it also includes sagas. 
because uh, sagas, you know, as they, they, they get you value as you go through their turns, and then eventually they sacrifice themselves. And uh, why are these types of cards notable? Why should we be on the lookout for these to be printed in new sets? So something that they, for some reason, have been super resistant to doing for some reason, because they don't think white should be able to do it, and most of these cards end up being white, they don't like having ways to sacrifice enchantments, uh, either or. So I, I don't know why that is. But when you have these enchantments that sacrifice for value, you can come up with like loop scenarios. So, I mean, one that you can do just with no cards, just with the land is uh, Hall of Heliod's Generosity. Um, You could also use like a Sun Titan to get things like this back. There's a decent amount of recursion and enchantment recursion in white in particular, but uh, they probably will give it to other colors <laughs> that, <laughs> do that that make these things really good and being able to like play a saga have it run its course and then get it back and play it again that's awesome like that is really cool and really good and uh, there's just not too many ways to get regular enchantments to sack themselves the ways that sagas do yeah and um there's i, I just want to like sort of posit some scenarios just to like demonstrate how powerful this can be like if you have a pernicious deed on a loop or or even like a phyrexian scriptures on a loop with say of hall of heliod's generosity it's not like you don't even have to do it that often because once you do it once and people understand like oh this player is just going to keep looping just going to wipe the board forever like no one can develop their board um so you end up having to you don't have to give up that many draw steps to this type of effect because people are gonna are gonna get it and then you are are pretty safe like they can't really commit to the board and and develop and attack you or go over the top because you've kind of got this excellent rattlesnake position that's really hard to interact with so i i think it's like a really really powerful synergy and it's one that like you know I, i can't wait to see more sagas because yeah not all of them are like uh, at the right power level for um, commander, but some of them just work so well. Even if you're not like kind of locking the board in that way, like if you are, uh, what's the showdown of? If you like use the showdown of the scalds, draw four, like essentially draw four cards, and then put that back and and draw four cards. Like that's a, it's actually kind of a respectable engine for card draw in in like a red white deck. Mm-hmm, definitely. And that's true with like a ton of these cards, like the Mirari Conjecture, getting back an instant and a sorcery, then doubling your instants and sorceries. That's great value, being able to get back these spells again and again and again, because it doesn't exile them. Like You can just cast them, get the Mirari's Conjecture back, you can flicker the Mirari's Conjecture. It's, like, it's a lot of value on just one permanent that some decks can have a pretty easy time getting back, so... I'm I'm always down to see more sagas. I really want to see more um, enchantments that just sack themselves. I really liked the omen, like omen of the hunt, omen of the sea, or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Those were cool because even though like the effect is kind of a not a premium rate, like the fact that you get a little extra with the scry and then you can get it back or flicker it or something like that was really cool. So that's what I want to see. And I don't know if you're good, we can move on to the next next category. Sure. Um, what do we have up next? This is Mass Creature Bounce, and this is one of my like <laughs> favorite things that 
not because I like bouncing all the creatures or something like that, but because of what you can do with it. So mass creature bounce is things like evacuation, uh, perplexing test printed recently, five mana instant bounce all tokens or non-token creatures, uh, engulf the shore, whelming wave, time wipe. These let you do very specific, uh, things that normal wraths don't let you do do you want to kind of get into that sure i really like that these combine so well with creatures that enter the battlefield and recur spells um so if you have a like eternal witness or an archaeomancer you can bounce it bounce everything to your hand play your archaeomancer get back your evacuation and then your evacuation and, and you're basically back in the same state although you can always evacuate again. So, and, and one really nice thing is that, uh, unlike, say, a board wipe, um, you know, your opponents are still get their creatures back. They can still attack each other, but they know you've like demonstrated that if they attack you, everything's going back to your hand. And so many of these effects are instant speed, both evacuation and perplexing text, and engulf the shore. So again, it's like another good rattlesnake card where your opponents can kind of do whatever they want to each other but you have this engine going where you can just reset their creatures if they if they turn them at you super cool super into it and yeah kind of in the same way you were talking about um the enchantments above uh the enchantments earlier where you don't really need to do it every time. Like, I think that's where the power comes from here. Just being like, oh, well, you're just going to bounce all my things again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, whenever you want. And just being in control of that trigger. Being able to pull that trigger whenever you want is really strong. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the next one. We have repeatable ways to add card types. Uh, and generally, this means, like, making something an artifact. So we have Liquid Metal Torque, recently printed in Modern Horizons 2. Liquid Metal Coating, Neuroc Transmuter, and Thran Forge, all of which can repeatedly turn non-artifact permanents into artifacts. And uh, what's what's interesting about these cards is that they are a way to convert artifact destruction into basically permanent destruction. Uh, now, it's worth noting that like Liquid Metal Torque can't turn lands into artifacts, unfortunately, but it's a great way for, say, uh decks that aren't so good at destroying certain permanent types like say red blue decks or or grixis decks maybe to handle things like enchantments or more directly kill planeswalkers or whatever and i i think that like liquid metal torque is the best of these because you know a, a mana rock is something that's generally useful in commander and then it just has this alternate mode of turning your abraid or your your by force or your shattering spear or whatever into a vindicate when that's needed yeah no i mean i I don't actually have too much to add to that i think this is just a cool class of cards i've been really impressed with liquid metal uh torque the like two games i've gotten to play with it so far um and i just generally like what these cards are doing i played with liquid metal coding a lot over the years and uh i'm excited to see more i'm hoping that they expand this out i'm hoping white can get a make something an enchantment creature or artifact or spell or something like that at some point you know like be able to wiggle types around and do cool things and maneuver things and make an engine going that might not have existed before do you think it's like mostly correct to run liquid metal torque in say like a mono red deck 
that's running all the the artifact re- destruction you would expect oh yeah i would say so for sure like I, i've after playing with it it's just like so much better I've, <laughs> I've mostly used it on my things but i know that a lot of mono red decks do run what is it the overload spell or vandal blast yeah vandal blast or things like that like being able to just get like a little extra value out of vandal blast being like i'm gonna blow up your commander that's an artifact now and i'm gonna blow it up or that planeswalker i don't like it's now gonna die like this seems fine and especially if you have a four mana commander the two mana mana rocks are always pretty good at helping Mm -hmm. to get those guys out so i really don't think it's like you're being punished for running this mana rock over any other one you know yeah Great point. And, and it, and, uh, t- can you tell us a little bit more about like the ways you've been using liquid metal Tark on your own permanence and like when that's useful? Oh yeah. I mean, so I have a, uh, Kurakesh Onaki ancient list, which is, uh, it's, he's an ogre and he has, when you activate an ability of an artifact you control, you may spend red if you do copy that ability. So in particular, I've been using it on like Goblin Welder, Goblin Engineer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like getting two activations of Goblin Welder or something like that. Uh, That seems pretty sick. Yeah, that's been how I've been using it mostly or the most times recently. I think that's both games. That's all I've been able to do. But that alone was enough to like impress me and be like, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's that's pretty awesome. It, it was just so much value. It like really pulled me ahead of what other other people were like trying to do. So uh, I can imagine there are going to be games where I'm sitting there and I have a braid in hand and I'm like, well, now that's dead. Yeah. Awesome. Because <laughs> like, I run that anyway. I was, I was going to run a braid that card rocks and run Vandal Blast that card rocks. Like why not? Yeah. It seems really good. All right. It looks like we have one category left. Um, and uh, I guess I'll jump right into it. This is repeatable artifact tapping. So these are things like Blink Moth Well, which is a land that taps for a colorless, and you can pay two and tap it to tap target non-creature artifact. Glare of Subduel, where you can tap an untapped creature you control to tap target artifact or creature. Opposition, which is two blue-blue for an enchantment, tap an untapped creature you control, tap target artifact, creature, or land. Or Urza, because um, Urza, of course, gives you the ability to tap your artifacts to generate blue mana. And all of these are notable because they break symmetry on all of those old school artifacts that turn off when they are tapped. So the ability to tap Winter Orb or Static Orb or Trinisphere on command can make it so that like everyone else is playing under a Winter Orb and you are not. And hopefully you can... I mean, that just seems incredibly powerful. It it seems like you could probably win the game from that position. Um, And I I cannot wait to see more ways to tap artifacts because of how strong that that interaction is. Mm -hmm. I remember what the the second card was, Slow Bad Goblin Engineer. Oh, nice. That was the other one that I liquid metal got. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah, to to speak to this point, um, the repeatable artifact tapping... um, I've just been really impressed with opposition in like the last few years in particular, like Glare Subduel. I kind of knew it was a good card because there's like, if you drafted Ravnica, it was just kind of the common knowledge that Glare Subduel was like one of the best cards in the set. 
because mm-hmm. Selesnya was one of the best guilds in the set. You just had a bunch of floaters, a bunch of like one ones and stuff like that. Um, so kind of the power of that card isn't hidden from you if you've been playing a decently long enough time. But when you can combine it with, like you said, these other things, like add an extra level on top of that, like not only are you changing your dorky one ones and zero one plants or whatever, your goats into the power to like deny your opponent's things. Now you're really turning it into that. Now, not only do they not have like lands, you have all of your lands and they don't have blockers and it, it pushes it way, way over the top. Mm-hmm. So kind of the first category we were talking about today, which was the, Oh, not the first one, but this, uh, when we were talking about symmetrical counters, to me, this category repeatable artifact tapping fits into the same space where it's like, it is stacksy. There are going to be people that don't like it. Don't appreciate it because you're literally running some of the, the saltiest cards on EDH rec, right? Like winter orb static or whatever, but the game is going to end fairly quickly. If you're able to keep doing your thing, like say with uh risk, the redeemed or something like that, you know, like all of a sudden you're going to just take off, go over the top and your glare of subdual is going to maintain your board state while denying everyone else's. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's super powerful. It's, it's definitely one of the best things to do in an Urza deck. And I just, would love the ability to fit these kind of packages into more lists. All right. Uh, well, those are all the the subcritical masses. These are that we wanted to talk about. Uh, these are all our the effects that are almost there that we're we're really looking out for every time a new set is spoiled, and which I guess means we get a lot more opportunities to look for them these days with the the pace of releases being what it has. And uh, let us know if there's anything we miss. Let us know if there's other types of effects that like are super powerful, but just like quite aren't quite there. We don't have enough to really fill out a deck and make it so that you can find them consistently. Because uh, we're we're curious, we're we're excited to see if there are more out there like these. But with that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah. Andy, Dylan, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, John, Dom, Tom, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Ellie, Leon, Jason, and Kyle. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>